You are listening to The Spectrum, part of the Daily Northwestern's opinion section focusing on marginalized voices. I'm Ariel Chase. And I'm Rachel Hampton. This week's column from Carson Brown discusses her experience navigating Northwestern's mental health resources. NU has a serious problem addressing mental health. That is no surprise to anyone anymore. What is jarring is how many people have been impacted by NU's failures on this front. Policy shifts never seem to net positive. NU opens unlimited sessions at CAPS, but then closes counseling at the Women's Center. Somewhere at the intersection of a terrible reputation, hidden resources, and toxic culture, too many students aren't getting the help they should. Everyone's path to obtain or maintain mental health is different, so don't let a lack of a diagnosis keep you from talking to someone. I know how difficult it is, and I know how the university too often fails to make it easier. But reach out, take care of yourself and others. So CAPS says that they're not dedicated to long-term care because it would be infeasible for a campus of 8,000 people. How do you think NU could better serve their students in terms of mental health while still focusing on short-term care? Do you think it's possible? I do think it's possible. I'm actually really deeply troubled when they say that it is not possible to cater to or make an effort to take care of the mental health of 8,000 students when we are by far not even close to the largest school in the Big Ten, much less in this country. To say that we cannot do it when we have so many resources, to me kind of indicates that it's not possible to do it in other schools like us or larger than us. I think that's really a terrifying prospect. I think Northwestern really has to kind of look to be more innovative. Like we see a lot of student pushes in other realms of student life, when especially when we're looking at like ethnic studies students, we're looking at black American studies, Asian American studies, um, indigenous studies on this campus. A lot of the positive change has been a something that started with student advocacy and student conversations and student pushing on this campus. And I think that's just kind of what we're gonna have to do here. I know at least as a PA, we went through this TND, which is what ENUs used to be. ENUs, essential NUs, those were like those presentations you had to go through when you first came to campus for Wildcat Welcome. They were about student body, sexual health, navigating alcohol and academics, all that sort of jazz. And so they changed those to True Northwestern Dialogues, TNDs, which are what they currently are called for students starting with the class of 2020 and transfers in this year. So the mental health one changes pretty regularly because NSFB is always looking for a new way, the new student family programs is always looking for a new way to um, make it better. So this year it was run by CAPS and the presentation in itself for me was really triggering. Like it ended up with me and my co-PA like crying in the hallways of tech and like I, for those who know me, like I do not like to kind of like put out myself in public places being like that, but it was really scary. It was a really terrible moment for us. And so when we were talking to our students trying to have a breakout discussion, a lot of our students were saying things like, you know, I felt really dismissed. I felt belittled. I saw many of the things that I went through up on that stage. And, you know, I just didn't feel like the university really understands what I'm going through and cares in a meaningful way. And this is, of course, not to blame any one particular person, but I just was really disappointed that a program like that could be developed by CAPS and not really make students feel like this was a place where they could go and be met by somebody who understood. That to me is really terrifying. So I just think that Northwestern has to be taking, you know, we have the WeWell campaign, we have this endowment, there are resources here that we can push, we have more counselors and all of these things that can kind of change the way CAPS is looked at. And I know that there are initiatives to do this when they send out surveys about 
the reputation for CAPS and things like that. I know that these are kind of like the beginnings of that type of positive change, but of course we always want change to go faster. So you mentioned one professor in your piece and how they helped you. What's been your experience with Northwestern professors and their understanding of mental health and the demands of being a student here? That varies. So, I mean, obviously that professor, like I credit her with like the reason I'm still at Northwestern. Like she really made a difference for me and continues to do so. I see her all the time. I love her very much. And she's always been one of those people who's incredibly supportive. And um, everyone who has her is lucky because she will have that conversation with you, even though she runs a very, you know, demanding classroom. She's there for kind of our learning and our well-being, and that's always been something I've appreciated. Other professors, I have had that experience as well, but there are, of course, a lot of professors here who can become out of touch with what it means to be a student here. Of course, especially when we are dealing with so many things that can be taxing for anybody. So you're working a job, you're making sure that everyone in your family is okay, you're dealing with this, you're dealing with that. Even living on campus or living off campus, you know, cooking for yourself, those sort of things can be really taxing and we're all in this space of learning where everything is very new. And I have run into very many professors who are just like, well, you can get this done in this time and well, let's just change this and do that. And they'll go through kind of this really like tough curriculum without ever kind of considering the student's mental health and I've tried to go to a couple professors and be like, you know, like this is like, this is really tough right now. This is kind of, there's a lot going on. What can I do to kind of shift this around? And some professors are not willing to budge. And I know that there is, you know, the idea that they are preparing us for the real world in which deadlines are real and office culture is something that you cannot budge with. But I'm not sure that that is necessarily the case everywhere, and I'm not sure that that is going to be the case for us as we are, you know, transitioning into the world beyond Northwestern. I do wish that there was kind of more advocacy around teachers, all of our professors, being on the same page when it comes to this, because some of them really are caring in this realm and are aware, but not everyone. And it only takes one professor in one of your quarters who does not care to really, really put you in a bad spot. No, for sure. I've heard some horror stories about even people that have been, like, trying to leave early, for example. <laughs> Inside joke there. There's some there's some professors <laughs> that won't consider, like, moving around a final yeah. exam. Like, you'll have to take it incomplete and worry about it next year and all types of things. And it's like uh, they don't prioritize a number of things. And mental health is obviously what we're talking about here, but there's a lot of other things that they also just don't prioritize. <clears throat> so... Just to kind of add a horror story in there that me and Carson both experienced. <laughs> we studied abroad in Paris. It was during the Paris attacks of, no, it was November 2015, and our professor came into the classroom and was super insensitive. He made a joke about Chicago gun, like gun violence, how his grad student like didn't think of anything of gunshots because she lived in Chicago when, A, there's a 90% chance she lived in Evanston, so... Nothing, knows nothing about Chicago and violence and also has nothing to do with the situation. And he refused to change the requirement when all of us had been through this traumatic experience. So we had to write a 30-page paper within, like, I think two weeks of this happening. And we tried to talk to Northwestern about it. We tried to talk to IPD about it. And they tried to get him to lessen it, and he just, like, did not understand it all. He was like, there's less of a chance of you being in a terrorist attack than you, like, dying on a plane crash. And it's like, it's already happened. I don't really care about the likelihood of it ever happening because it's already happened. Like, this makes no sense. So 
Northwestern Horror Story. Yeah, I mean, I think that that was kind of, that was such a difficult spot for all of us anyway. I mean, Rachel and I, like those attacks happened, you know, within a walking distance from our house. That was in our neighborhood. And that was something that, I mean, I still haven't gotten over. That's something that still impacts me. And going through that time was really, really difficult. And I was sort of shocked by how many students were able to pull off that paper. There weren't many that took in completes. And I was really kind of terrified, but also impressed by you know the sheer willpower of students who made it through. One of our really close friends on that trip, she came over a little while ago, and we were just sitting in my apartment talking about that time and how she went to talk to the Northwestern officials that flew out to Paris after that and how the Northwestern administration was kind of like, well, here are tips on how to write an essay without being stressed, which of course completely misses the point. She knows how to write an essay. That's not the question. The issue is that she went through something incredibly traumatizing. She was actually in those restaurants, at those bars, like she was in that space when those attacks happened and nothing was done about that. And that was really, really difficult to watch and that was difficult to be a part of. And it, yeah, that was kind of one of those like really shocking, shocking failures of Northwestern to really recognize what it means to be going through like a mental health crisis or just going through the day-to-day -day of living in this kind of environment. It's like if like in a national tragedy like that, you can't even pull something together. What are you doing when your students have something that may not even be diagnosed? Right, exactly. Say it again for the people in the <laughs> Just sum it up just like that. Just rewind that and listen to that again. That's the whole podcast. <laughs> so if y'all are long-term listeners, you know me and Ariel are black. And if you don't, I don't know who, I don't know what's happened. Obviously, we're not doing anything correctly. Carson is also black. And so I want to ask, how is being a black woman at Northwestern intersected with your experiences with mental health resources? I mean, kind of one of my big things around intersectionality, intersectionality being the ways in which all of our identities and life situations come together and form your experience, is that it's really difficult to separate one from the other, right? So like, my family, and I don't know that this is, I think, specific to my family, but it's something that I know a lot of other black students can kind of like, are, can relate to, is that like my father, even though he does not agree with this characterization, very much takes the approach to mental health as being something that you can kind of buck up and deal with. As long as you have the right mental outlook, the right mental fortitude, you will be fine. And he says, well, I don't want you being sad about things. I don't want you feeling depressed about things. And it's, you know, very frustrating for me to be like, Dad, I don't feel depressed about things. I have depression. Like, some days are just tough. And, you know, I can't that's not about my mental fortitude because I know myself to be an incredibly like resourceful and strong person, but there are days when you just, you know, you're just dealing with something that's not necessarily within your control. And there's, you know, of course there's always the stigmas of like not being strong enough more generally, but navigating life on campus as a black student is very, very different than navigating it as a student who is not a student of color. And when you're already, at least for me, when I'm already you know, learning to navigate the space with my diagnoses. Also having the added experience of being a black woman on top of that and kind of all of the ways in which you're stigmatized on this campus and all of the ways you're looked at differently on this campus and treated differently, they create something that can be harder to deal with than just the minutia of academics and things like that. It definitely is an added layer of difficulty because you have to be second guessing yourself all the time.
So you got a pretty interesting <laughs> email after you published your column. Can you tell us a little bit about what you received and what your response would be to that person slash I guess what it was at the time? Yeah, totally. So yeah, I got this email from a person. It was like their personal email address. And uh, they basically were saying that I should never talk about having mental health problems or navigating mental health in public because this person says they work in HR and in their job they weed out people with mental instabilities. Those are their words. And I took a screenshot of the email and I put it on Facebook. I cropped out their name or anything, but I, I put it on Facebook and it's actually the most popular post I've ever posted on Facebook. Like people popped off basically, like people were pretty angry, <laughs> which I appreciated. But like, I was just thinking that I talked about it with like my family and my friends, like people come up to me and like, I saw that email, that was wild. But my mom made this good point in that I'm lucky in that I, first of all, know that what they're describing is illegal. And second of all, I know that that will not be the case in my life and that it's not something that I'm going to have to run into in which, as a person says, I will not be able to get a job because I have this diagnosis around anxiety or in which I will be denied you know, access to whatever because of talking about mental health or that a future employer will be able to see my records of counseling in college. Like, no, they cannot see patient records. That's not a possibility. Like, those are things that are not real unless, you know, there's something that's a hugely different situation. But that email was wild. And I'm lucky in that I don't, you know, I don't, I know that to not be true. But if somebody did not know that to be something that is false, and if they were not in the space that I'm in now, if they were in a different position, that might be something that really messes with them. That could be something that really kind of puts their world in a turn when we're already, you know, worried about jobs and we're worried about our futures and we're thinking about all these things. That really could have messed someone up. And I was disturbed that somebody would send an email like that and, you know, not consider the huge impact that something like that could have on somebody. And like, I've kind of decided that it was a troll at this point because it's so ridiculous. They sounded so concerned though is the thing. <laughs> they were like the world is a cruel place and I need you to know that. Like I'm so concerned for you. Like I'm sorry. They really thought they were being helpful. Like no, that's what that's, that's what really scary. hits me that they were like hey girl I really saw what you wrote and I need you to Yeah like this. that was wild. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> telling you this. Welcome to the cold cruel world. Yeah that was how they signed off the email and I'm like well, my world is not cold and cruel. Like, I do not live in a world in which everyone around me is cruel. I am surrounded, luckily, by love. And, you know, you, I don't always know that, and I don't always see that. But when I'm in, like, a moment like today, like, I look around and I see my friends and my family, and I do not live in a world that is cold and cruel. And I refuse to be told otherwise. Except during winter quarter. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what I'm doing about that. So. Bye. <laughs> All right, so last question, which is something we've actually discussed, is you had to reach out several times for help. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who's struggling with reaching out for the first or the second or the third time? Finding your path to mental health, whether it is maintaining it or getting there in the first place, is always difficult and it's always an individual process. You have to find what works for you. So. It doesn't need to be something like a diagnosis that is more concrete. It can really just be going through being a Northwestern student every day. 
reach out to somebody, whether it's a friend, whether it is CAPS and that ends up being the path that works for you, whether you go to care, whether you take advantage of another resource. I talk about Urban Balance in the article as an exceptional resource here in Evanston. Never think that it's not bad enough or you're going to be fine. If you just get through these next couple of assignments, you'll feel better because the quarter happens again. So I know it's difficult. <laughs> I, I know it is difficult from, you know, living through it myself, but giving it another try, falling back on the support systems that are here, whether that's, you know, your community, your best friend, your mom, whoever that ends up being. And sometimes you have to kind of look outside the box like I did when I went to a professor the day after the assignment was due, distraught, and um, she helped me find my path. Just never, 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 never think that it's not worth doing. Always, always, always reach out. Anything else you wanna add? Yeah. I mean, I could talk about this for days. I always encourage people to like hit me up if they wanna chat, so. Thanks, Carson, and thanks for listening. If you're interested in contributing to The Spectrum, check out our page on The Daily's website. 